now like to introduce each of our four participants today. We have with us Larry Scott, Commissioner of the PAC-12, Douglas Bryant, President and CEO of Quido Corporation, Dr. Doug Ackerman, Oregon State Senior Associate Athletic Director, Sports Medicine, and Chair of the PAC-12 Student Athlete Health and Wellbeing Initiative, and Dr. Kim Harmon, University of Washington Section Head of Sports Medicine and Research Development Director of the PAC-12 Student Athlete Health and Wellbeing Initiative. I will now turn it over to Commissioner Scott, who will be followed in turn by each of Mr. Bryant, Dr. Ackerman, and Dr. Harmon for opening remarks to be followed by our Q&A session. Commissioner? Thank you. Uh, really honored to be joined uh, by Doug Bryant, as well as Dr. Zuckerman and Harmon. Uh, I'm really pleased to be able to announce this research partnership that has enormous potential not only to help safeguard our student athletes, but also to point the way to a COVID-contained future for our society at large. The PAC-12 conference has entered into an agreement with diagnostic test leader, Wydell Corporation, to allow us to implement daily testing for COVID-19 with student athletes across all of our campuses in all close contact sports. This agreement is a major step toward the safe return of sports competition in the Pac-12. The arrangement with Quidel will provide for frequent testing with rapid results, which had been one of the key concerns in our conference's decision to postpone sport competition earlier this year. I'll leave it to my expert colleagues to discuss the technical specifications and various benefits to be derived from our daily rapid testing protocol. But I wanna focus for a moment on why we chose to partner with Quidel Corporation on an initiative so critical to the health of our student athletes, coaches, and staff. Quidel is the innovation leader in coronavirus diagnostic tests. They were the first to gain FDA approval for the most, SAR, most sensitive SARS molecular tests, commonly known as PCR tests. They were also the first to develop and earn FDA approval for an antigen test that can detect the coronavirus infection from a nasal swab. These tests can be administered and read by a small device called a SOFIA SARS analyzer. This test is highly accurate, can be run in our athletic training rooms and will produce results in just 15 minutes. In fact, I had a chance to see them getting made when Doug gave me a tour just yesterday in San Diego. We're proud to be working with a California-based leader in this space, it's all US made. And uh, this is great that we can work with a company in our footprint that's making such a difference for society in this country, but also around the world. This enables us to know every day before every athletic practice or game that everyone participating tested negative for COVID-19. This access to daily rapid result testing, simply put, is a game changer. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity with Doug to tour uh, not just the plant uh, where these tests are being made, uh, but their research facilities as well in San Diego. Very impressive. I got to see the lines where about 2 million of these antigen tests are produced every week. And I met many terrific people who are bringing these tests to market today. I saw how hard they're working to meet the demand, adding new manufacturing lines so that they can be producing many millions more than they are currently. The Quidel team's speed and deep sense of purpose reminded me of the determination and drive I see every day in our Pac-12 student athletes. And I'm so happy that the work of the Quidel team is going to enable us uh, to pursue this path to return to play for our student athletes that are so eager to get back. In this research 
partnership, the research aspect of this partnership. I can assure you that the PAC-12 and Quidel share a common purpose, not only to ensure the safety of our student athletes and to use, but to use this large population research study to advance our understanding of the COVID-19 virus and help to prevent the spread. I'm sure our athletes will be proud to be a part of this PAC-12 initiative that not only will help keep them safe, but ultimately the results from this testing will help improve public health at large and the well-being for their families and hometowns across the country. Thank you. And now it's uh, my pleasure to turn it over to Doug Bryant, President and CEO of Quidel. Thank you, Larry. Um, I appreciate being here. And I just want to start by saying how proud I am of the Quidel team who have truly risen to the challenge of this uh, this COVID-19 pandemic. And first by developing innovative products, we very early on developed a PCR assay. And then as Larry mentioned, we were the first to introduce a rapid SARS antigen product. And uh, you know the team have just done so well. Uh, I was also very pleased um, that we were able to pull together this partnership so quickly, which demonstrates the speed and agility of both organizations really. Um, I would say that, you know, it was a thrill, honestly, to have somebody from outside the industry walk through with me and, and tour the factory. And, and Larry's right, you know, in addition to the fact that it's being manufactured here in America, all the equipment, all the automation designed by our engineers here, but all of the equipment uh, made in America as well. The um, comment that he made as we were exiting uh, was also, uh, I thought, quite helpful because it recognized that when you look at our people, they are so committed. It's uh, as if they have a moral obligation to do what they're doing. They're working, you know, very hard every day, and but just uh, so happy to do it. You know, we started out with nursing homes and some of our traditional customers that we would normally serve, but you know, just the the thought that we're able to uh, help the situation out in nursing homes such that grandmas and grandpas can, we hope, finally get back in touch with their loved ones, with their kids and grandkids and great grandkids in some uh, situations. You know, these folks on the factory floor uh, are committed, but it's like they have a special purpose. And, and it's, uh, it's nice that I could show that to Larry and that uh, it was so visible. You know, we have collaborated before with a number of the universities. We have a longstanding relationship with several. We're always impressed by the caliber and the dedication of the folks in the university systems. But in particular, you know, it's, it's, it's really uh, nice to see uh, all of this come together. Um, and it came together quite quickly. Again, the speed and agility of both organizations, the ability to do all this in such uh, short order I think is 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 really impressive. And in fact, uh, we will have all the instrumentation and everything we need to do the testing that's required for the PAC-12 on-site at each of the universities uh, before the end of this month. And so um, again, uh, Larry, the rest of the team, I'm really honored that we could do this. Um, it will be the largest asymptomatic study. Uh, this is why we're also particularly interested. We think that uh, the results of all of this is going to inform better protocols for determining how we do this moving forward. And at the end of the day, 
I think could be extremely helpful in bringing the economy back. Thank you, Doug. We'll now turn it over to Dr. Doug Ackerman. Uh, thank you. You know, as Commissioner Scott um, said, you know, the, the PAC-12 Student Athlete Health and Wellbeing Initiative is, uh, is really excited that we're going to be able to have point-of-care testing on all of our athletic campuses in, in relatively short order. You know, our, our medical and COVID advisory group has met twice a week over the last four months and for quite some time now, um, even prior to the point where we recommended a pause on contact activity felt that it was really critical that we have consistent point of care access to be able to move forward with contact athletics in a safe manner um, for our student athletes. Um, having the opportunity and the ability to identify and immediately remove someone who has the potential of being infected prior to stepping on the practice field um, really reduces and removes the risk and the gap um, that currently exists with traditional laboratory testing between collection and then the reporting back. And so we're, we're really excited about this development. Um, I think it's going to help us find our way back uh, to sports with our student athletes and certainly with the health and safety of our student athletes at the forefront of our decision. And then Dr. Harmon is going to talk about uh, the research components with us. Great. Thanks a lot, Doug, and uh, happy to be here today. Um, I really think that this is a fantastic example of the collaboration amongst the PAC-12 universities. We have been working on developing a clinical research infrastructure for the past four or five years and have been able to put together one so that we can actually um, implement new things or um, what might be considered best practices and then test them and, and make adjustments as we need to. So we've been able to do similar projects to this in the past. We've done projects with concussion, uh, with cardiac issues, and we currently have an ongoing mental health project. So this will fit nicely into that portfolio of, of um, things. And we can, I think, learn a lot about uh, the coronavirus and how we can get our athletes back safely to sport. And that can hopefully be um, um, used in, in other settings as well. Great, thank you, Dr. Harmon, and thank you all for your opening remarks. Um, we will now begin the Q&A session. Uh, as a reminder, media can select the raise hand tab at the bottom of your screen in order to be added to the queue. When selected to ask a question, please be sure to unmute yourself and to identify, identify yourself by full name and media outlet. Uh, first question, uh, we've got Kyle Bonagura from ESPN. Go ahead, Kyle. Hi, guys. Uh, wondering what the financial component of this looks like. How much is it on a, a per test basis and who will be funding uh, funding those tests? I can I can maybe start. Um, so the uh, uh, the price of the tests uh, is part of the agreement, which is confidential. So we can't share the price. But what I can say, Kyle, is that there's two components to this. Uh, one is the procurement of, uh, of the tests, um, which uh, the conference and our members will be responsible for. And the second component is the research study, which will be a collaboration between our PAC-12 athletics departments uh, and Quidel, uh, similar to research they're already doing with some of our campuses beyond athletics, and they do with other, other organizations. Um, and we're very pleased 
uh, Quidel is going to be able to support uh, those efforts financially and otherwise, but the details uh, of that are confidential. Uh, next question, uh, Heather Dinich. Larry, um, with the tests being on campus by the end of the month, but schools in California still limited in what they can actually do, what does all this mean in terms of when you guys can really play football again? Yeah. Um, so this is a very important and significant step, uh, but there's other considerations that will go into our return to play, Heather. Um, first and foremost, government approvals, public health authority approvals. As you point out, we still have six universities, our four California schools, our two Oregon schools, that don't have the requisite approvals from public health authorities to engage in, in contact practice at the moment. Um, so even if we were ready uh, to start tomorrow, we, we couldn't start what we think of as training camp and getting ready for the season. Um, and uh, obviously limitations on other sports as well as a result, basketball uh, being, being a good example. Um, so there's uh, more to be done for sure in terms of working with public health officials. Um, this is all very new, as Doug mentioned, came together uh, quickly at the end. Quidel has been on our radar for a long time, our medical community as a real leader in this space. Uh, but in terms of the ability to pull this together, came together quickly and um, you know, we will continue to, of course, have ongoing discussions with public health officials. And we haven't had a chance to discuss this with our sport committees or our campuses. So uh, you can be sure that that will be an important part of our focus going forward. But we've always said, you know, we've gone about return to play in a very measured and I think thoughtful way, saying all along, we're gonna let the data and the science drive us. Uh, and we're gonna have to have a high degree of confidence that by returning to contact, returning to play, we're not encouraging the spread and putting student athletes at higher risk uh, as a result of that sport competition. This ability to have daily testing with immediate results um, is a huge step forward for us, uh, but some of those other considerations are gonna be paramount, Heather, before we can declare when we think we're likely to resume. Okay, next question, we've got Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic. Yeah, Larry, kind of on the same lines of what Heather was saying, um, obviously when you guys made your decision to postpone, it was for the entirety of 2020. Um, would a development like this allow you to reconsider stuff, maybe basketball with that timeline? Yeah, well, when we made our decision, it was, um, was mid-August, the week before training camp was supposed to start in football and contact practice. And based on the fact that we did not have the requisite government approvals uh, at that time, uh, we had the uncertainties and concerns about the virus and its impact on young people. Uh, and we didn't have access, frankly, and didn't think we would have access to late November uh, to the kind of testing we're talking about today out of an abundance of caution uh, with the health and safety of our student athletes, staff, and colleagues in mind, decided we just couldn't move forward to uh, the contact practice and uh, the runway to the season. Um, and that was at a time where the start date for basketball, which I know you asked about Nicole specifically, uh, the start date for the season was November 8th. So some things have changed uh, thanks to this groundbreaking research partnership and arrangement with Quidel, we will have access to the daily testing come early October um, once we uh, receive uh, the, the materials. 
Um, and the NCAA, as you know, is in the process of reconsidering the start date for basketball, considering later dates. We have certainly encouraged that. We've pushed for that strongly. Uh, our current uh, position is we're not starting competition before January 1st, uh, but you know, I'm pleased. This is a, this is a major new development um, and we will wait to see what the NCAA decides in terms of hopefully a later start date uh, that allows us to participate. So um, I think we always said, you know, we will constantly revisit and we'll constantly track the data and the science. This is a dynamic situation, I think, for all of us. We're careful not to predict too far out. So as circumstances change, I think we're going to stay nimble and uh, you know, regularly convene with our athletics directors, with our university presidents and chancellors, and evaluate. So I'm hopeful today's news and what's coming from the NCAA uh, will provide us a pathway to start uh, before January 1st. Great, we've got a question from Bruce Feldman. Go ahead, Bruce. Uh, this is for Doug. Doug, uh, having talked to some coaches at some other programs, not in the Pac-12, one of them had told me that they are taking uh, they don't know if it's the same test or a similar test where they get results within 15 minutes. Are you working with other programs already that are not in the Pac-12? Yeah, we are. There are a number of uh, universities that we've individually partnered with. And, um, you know, I wish I could uh, name them for you. I, 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 I should have gotten disclosure <laughs> agreement in advance, but some of some of the well-known programs that you would name um, have entered into a partnership with us um, and have been ongoing for just a short period of time. Can you say how? Can you say how many schools you have partners with? You think who are playing college football right now? Uh, it's several. It's several uh, at this at this point. Yes. Thank you. Uh, we've got a question from James Creppy of the Oregonian. Go ahead, James. Yes, yeah, this is for uh, each of the doctors. Uh, earlier this month, when the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors voted to postpone sports, uh, obviously the things were a bit different. The pre presentation from the group said that antigen testing wasn't expected widely until November. 23 days later, now we have this development. There were no cases of spread from the FCS game on Saturday. Many experts have refuted the Journal of American Medical Association study and feel the myocarditis concerns are overstated due to its prevalence in other viral infections. What do you folks have to say in terms of three weeks later after the concerns that were raised that led to the postponement of sport, where now sport is being played and now the testing that this uh, agreement is it seems to be resolving a lot of the issues that were raised 23 days ago. Certainly the, the opportunity to be able to test daily um, helps mitigate several of those concerns that we had uh, prior, but at that point in time, we did not have the opportunity or ability to uh, do uh, point of care daily testing and, and didn't see that on the horizon um, in talking to numerous vendors. This is clearly a new development that uh, I, do, I do think um, 
is a very significant one. And I do think allows us to continue to put health and safety of our student athletes in the, in the forefront as we make decisions about uh, increasing the ability to do contact activity where people can't socially distance. Um, you know, there's, there's no question that the frequency of the testing has to be um, frequent, has to be daily or, or every other day at least in order to be able to really be effective in, in doing what we're trying to do. And Dr. Harmon can, can add more to that. Yeah, I, I, I would echo, I really think that the PAC-12 went about this the right way, keeping sort of science in mind and um, that we looked at the information that we had at the time in terms of the high prevalence, particularly in some places in our footprint um, and, and um, not being able to test as frequently as we would have liked. Um, with this new development, with being able to test frequently, we can potentially keep anybody who's infectious out of practice. And so we can, um, uh, hopefully keep the virus from spreading within our, with, with the sports activities. And so that was one of our primary concerns is that we as a conference didn't want to have spread widespread um, transmission of the disease uh, with, because of the sport activity itself. And so, um, you know, our, our athletes will be no more at risk than the students that are on campus um, and maybe at less risk because of the frequent testing and so I think that this is a safe way that we can go back to sport and, um, and I'm, I'm very um, excited to move forward and very uh, grateful that we have this opportunity. Great, we've got a question from Kristen Capel. Go ahead, Kristen. Larry, I know you addressed this a little bit from a basketball perspective, but just to be clear, is there any chance now that any football games could be played before January 1st? Thanks, Christian. When we made our decision to uh, not start competition before January 1st, um, yeah, it was based on the information in front of us, leading with what public health authorities will allow us to do and not having access to the kind of testing we will now have access to uh, by the end of the month, thanks to Doug and his, his group. So we'll, we've got to constantly reevaluate uh, in light of these circumstances. Um, we've got scenario planning groups made up of our coaches, athletics directors, other football administrators. Our new lead, Merton Hanks, is going to be leading that effort uh, with Mark Harlan, the Utah athletics director, who's on our, the uh, football oversight committee. Uh, they'll be relooking all of these scenarios. But again, uh, some of this is still outside our control in terms of public health authorities being comfortable with kind of contact required for football practice and training camp. As you know, we've been really clear and open and transparent. We need a full six weeks in the sport of football uh, to feel uh, safe um, and to mitigate possibility of injuries. And so we're only gonna go about this uh, in a way that we feel comfortable uh, the health and safety of the student athletes um, is, is well looked after and, and not cut it too fine. Um, so again, what we can't predict is when we're going to get the approvals we need from government authorities. This testing piece is a big step forward. And I'm hopeful, Christian, that does open up possibilities to start competition before January 1st, but that decision has not been taken yet. We will continue to follow all, all the data and the science and keep working in a very collaborative fashion like we have with our members. Uh, we have a lot of folks kind of touching this and looking at scenarios. So I'm sure our working groups will look at uh, pre-January 1 scenarios 
in addition to post-January 1 scenarios. And again, the other data point we're looking for in basketball is what the NCAA decides in terms of when uh, the season's going to start, which is you know, likely to be later than the original November 4th start. And, and, and Larry, would you mind if I just added that, you know, to the previous question about testing, this is the first program of its kind in that we're doing daily testing. All the other universities that we've been engaged with had other protocols that did not involve daily testing. And from a timing perspective, um, you know, certainly the, the, the science being uh, what it is and, and the evaluation and the protocol and all that uh, being very important. But from our perspective, we're now at a position where we can support it. Whereas a month or so ago, we may not have been able to do that to the extent we can now. Thank you, Doug. And maybe, maybe I'll just add a really helpful perspective. Um, one of the attractions of this partnership is Quidel's focus on, on research and using what we're going to be able to do in Pac-12 athletics as a way to look at the testing algorithms and the frequency and the cadence uh, and the results to improve society, not just on our campuses and their communities, but across the country. That's what our universities are all about. We've got some of the leading university hospitals and medical research centers in the country urgently working on solving a lot of these questions in public-private partnerships with leaders in industry. And uh, this partnership with Quidel is gonna allow Pac-12 athletics to play a small role in that because as Doug said, this hasn't been done before. With this demographic, with the frequency of testing, uh, there's gonna be data and feedback that I think will inform how we return to school, how we return to work, and how we return our economy back to the normalcy we all desperately want. We've got a question from Adam uh, Rittenberg, ESPN. Go ahead, Adam. Sorry. Hey, Larry, I was just wondering, um, there obviously a lot of eyes on you guys in the Big Ten and some decisions have been made almost on parallel tracks. I'm curious how much communication you and, and others in the league have had with the Big Ten about possibly syncing up uh, a resumption of competition in football and, and even some of these other areas. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Um, yeah, we've got regular and great communication with uh, my peers in the A5 conferences. We were on the phone together this morning, uh, and Kevin and I are speaking frequently. Um, outside of that, we've got working groups set up to look at post-January 1 scheduling scenarios in football. Obviously, it's uncharted territory, and uh, we're just trying to put one foot in front, front of the other um, at a time and let, letting the data and the science drive our decisions. Uh, but I've said to Kevin, a high priority for the Pac-12 would be trying to align our seasons in a way that not only for our student athletes could we have a Pac-12 championship game and champion, but it would be awesome to have some of the traditional postseason opportunities the Pac-12 and Big Ten have enjoyed with each other over many, many decades. We've got a question from Bruce Pascal. Go ahead, Bruce. Hi, Larry. Uh, I was just wondering if you could clarify. You mentioned in basketball, you mentioned that you were hoping they might, the NCAA might come up with a date that's later that would allow you to participate. But yet the latest date they're talking about is December 4th. And I'm wondering 
if December 4th, for example, and there's a lot of talk about November 25th as well, if, if either of those, especially if you've got the testing in place by October, November going on a daily basis, is that how realistic is that, that you could jump in with the rest of the schools and the rest of the conferences? Appreciate you asking, Bruce. Um, you know, one of the things I've discussed with Doug is um, this breakthrough, basically having access to this testing capability eight weeks earlier than we originally anticipated uh, we may, along with the research partnership, uh, does allow us to revisit uh, some of, some of um, you know, our decisions when we understood it was going to be much more delayed in terms of getting access, uh, twinned with the fact that the NCA is looking like they may push back the start, will allow us to revisit it. Um, when we made our decision, it was a November 8th start for basketball. We knew we could not be ready uh, for that based on where we have government approvals, where we don't, and we didn't have access to this kind of testing. Basketball, obviously, is, is the closest of close contact sports um, with very limited rosters of uh, 15 uh, men and women on a team. And so and one thing that has not been mentioned is, you know, if someone on a team were to test positive and go out to practice and go out to play and think of basketball, um, you know, a scrimmage, uh, the way the um, contact tracing works, the whole team could be quarantined for 14 days. So I might, I might ask uh, Doug and Kim to maybe speak about that aspect. I don't think it came up yet, but this uh, daily rapid result testing where you can have a high degree of confidence, no player is gonna step on a basketball court or a football field for practice or competition infectious, um, uh, you know, eliminates a lot of risk factors that we were worried about, especially with the quarantine and close contacting. So Doug and Kim, I know your committee's spoken a lot about that. Maybe you can elaborate on that point. Yeah, certainly as it relates to the, the athletic activity realm, you know, by doing daily testing, you can essentially narrow the window of when somebody would have potentially started to, to become positive or began to start shedding virus down to probably a 20 to 24 hour window, if not even shorter. And so, you know, the hope is that it reduces some of the burden on contact tracing in the community health departments because you don't have to go back quite so far as it relates to the athletic realm. It doesn't likely impact the interactions they're having with roommates or with other people in the community. Um, but it, it does certainly allow us to more precisely determine when somebody did uh, begin to test positive. Dr. Harmon? Yeah, I would, I would just, in terms of the, the frequency of testing and being able to pull people out of before they're infectious, there are mathematical models that would suggest that if you do daily testing that's rapid turnaround, um, that you can catch all the infections before they become actually infectious and then get them out of that pool so that they can't spread. And that, that's one of the real advantages to that rapid turnaround is, is that you know the results right then and you and that person who's potentially infected doesn't sort of go around and spread it for 24 hours while you're waiting for the results to come back. And so um, the, these rapid tests um, um, should be able to detect infection before people become infectious and then we can pull the athletes. So theoretically, when people are out there on the field, they're not gonna infect each other. Um, and then that has big implications in terms of who you need to quarantine. Um, because theoretically, there is an argument to be made that you would not have to quarantine others on the same uh, field or court um, it, um, 
when somebody becomes positive because you knew they weren't infectious when they were playing. Thank you, Dr. Harmon. We've got a question from Matt Norlander. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks to everyone for, uh, for allowing us on this call to get some more information. So my question is informed a bit by talking to uh, plenty of coaches. I guess it's for Larry. Larry, have you had preliminary discussions and plans about what your schools would do specifically on game day? And I'll apply this to football as much as I would basketball. But let's just talk quickly. Uh, you know, you've got a basketball game in non-conference. So let's say UCLA hosts Team X in a non-conference game. Would the conference be... Uh, then would UCLA say, okay, this team is coming into play us in a non-conference setting. We will provide the testing to the visiting team from an outside league and they would get it two days before, one day before, and specifically day of game testing. Have you laid out exactly the logistics of how teams would be tested? Because I think this is a, a talking point and curiosity that has permeated throughout college athletics that no one really has an answer to. And perhaps with this news today, you can pro provide a little more clarity if the conference has had some preliminary discussions about that. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. As usual, you're, you're a couple of steps ahead of us. Um, those are really important questions that we just haven't had a chance to talk to our coaches and athletics directors about. This came together quickly, as uh, Doug mentioned. And, you know, heretofore in football, you know, we talked about, and, and all of our fall sports, we talked about conference only. The reason we talked about conference only schedules was um, to give us maximum flexibility and maximum confidence and trust that everyone was following uh, the same protocols. Um, but I would say, obviously, in basketball, uh, if we're able to start before January 1st, that opens up the possibility of non-conference. Um, we haven't worked through details, but I certainly could not imagine going to you know, this extent to protect the health and well-being of our student-athletes and look ourselves in the eye, look student-athletes in the eye, coaches in the eye, parents in the eye. I could not imagine being able to look everyone in the eye and say, we've got a high degree of confidence. The, this, um, uh, the COVID is not going to be spread through the practice activity or the game activity, and then having a lower standard for a non-conference game. So I think we are going to, you know, I feel confident saying for us to get comfortable with non-conference basketball, if we were going to get comfortable with non-conference basketball, we would have to hold our opposing teams to this same standard. Um, I'll have to have some more conversations with Doug about uh, what their you know, scalability looks like and whether it's gonna be possible for us to supply uh, this rapid, point, rapid result point of care testing for opponents of the Pac-12 in the non-conference season. It's a bridge we just haven't crossed yet. Thank you. Uh, next question we have from uh, Ryan Cartier. Go ahead, Ryan. Hi, guys. Thanks for doing this. Um, it was mentioned a little bit before, but uh, Penn State's director of athletic me medicine was in the news today uh, for saying that one third of Big Ten athletes who tested positive uh, for COVID uh, also had some form of myocarditis. Uh, with the time you guys have had to to gather information a little bit more on that or research it more. How much of a concern is that still even in light of, of positive news about testing? Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that one. You know, certainly um, I can't comment on what's going on in the Big Ten. I don't know what's going on in the Big Ten. But um, um, 
we have put together a national coalition to look at these exact questions, and that's uh, led um, by the PAC-12 and, and Harvard, and we're putting together a research study that's actually um, well underway to collect all the data of all the testing that's been done throughout the, the country so that we can answer some of those questions. And we don't have the answers right now, but we're going to have the answers, hopefully preliminary answers, you know, within um, a, a month or two. And I think that, um, you know, we don't know uh, how much of a concern myocarditis is in terms of uh, how many athletes get it, but that's why we want to make sure that we can um, have a, a reasonable um, assurance that our athletes aren't going to spread it when they're playing sports. And that's why the testing can really help us um, um, be able to feel good about putting our athletes on the, on the field. And just a just a so are you still there, Ryan? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to follow up and ask: uh, in terms of myocarditis, is that something where that study or more clarity would have to be found before you guys were to feel comfortable? moving forward with any return to play scenarios? I wouldn't think that we have to have absolute clarity. I think, you know, as uh, as everything with this coronavirus, we are learning more about this virus and its impacts on the human body and how the human body responds to it um, on, a, on a weekly, if not daily basis. Um, certainly there has been enough discussion that, that we're all aware of the cardiac potential. Um, I think we are uh, maybe hyper-focused on that and not giving also due time to some of the other physical ailments that may affect from, uh, from other body um, parts and, and body systems. Um, however, um, certainly with daily testing, being sure that we can identify people as, as soon and as quickly as possible if they do obtain um, the, the infection of coronavirus, that we can then do an adequate cardiac workup um, or other health workup uh, downstream after the fact. And I would also add to that that, you know, in the PAC-12, we've been doing um, cardiac testing with all of our athletes when they came in for their physical. Uh, we did uh, PCR testing, but also antibody testing primarily so that it could uh, guide cardiac testing in, in, in people who had had it before they got back to campus. Um, and um, we have been reassured by what we've seen at this point, but I think that the bottom line is that not enough information is, is known. So we need to um, get back more information. We need to remain vigilant, um, but it, it does seem to us at this point that it is reasonable to move forward with daily testing so that we can prevent spread um, in our athletic footprint. Thank you. Uh, we've got a written question from Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. Uh, the question is, this technology seems to be proprietary to the Pac-12. Would it be available to other leagues and have other leagues inquired about it? Maybe turn that over to, to Doug. This is obviously uh, uh, brand new. We have not ha I've not had a chance to discuss the details of it with my uh, colleagues, but Doug's probably the best one to answer that. Sure. Well, first, I would just say that um, this arrangement we, we have with the PAC-12 is groundbreaking, and we have not had uh, similar discussions with the other conferences. 
a lot of this is enabled by the fact that with just in the last month, we've doubled our uh, manufacturing capacity and we're now shipping um, you know, twice what we were a month ago. Uh, Larry saw firsthand where we're adding four more manufacturing lines and uh, effectively uh, doubling again our manufacturing capacity. So as we get into, I guess, the question around the basketball season, by that time, we will have the capacity uh, to help out if we're asked. Um, but again, um, you know, the real benefit right now of our participation from our perspective, particularly relative to what we say to our other customers who are also waiting for product, is that we see this as, uh, as not just helping with the obvious, but also this idea that testing a very large scale number of folks who are presumed asymptomatic is going to be meaningful and instructive. And I think it'll help us as we develop the algorithms that are gonna be necessary in all sorts of settings outside of athletics. So again, that's our primary purpose for now. Um, but obviously, as we continue to ramp up production, we'll have the ability to help other conferences uh, if asked. And certainly the research piece of this, I think, was very important for, for both of us. Our universities are doing groundbreaking research uh, related to COVID in a bunch of areas. And to be able to contribute to that effort uh, for our community at large was an important uh, a piece of this. But we will certainly plan to share with our friends and colleagues in the other conferences and at the NCA, what we've learned. And if we can play a role as the PAC-12 and working with Doug and his partners um, and is rolling out to other markets as the capacity gets there and based on Quidel's priorities, uh, we'd be happy to do that. Great, next question from Matt Prem. Go ahead, Matt. Hi, thank you. This is uh, for Larry Scott. Uh, there's a lot of reporting and discussion and curiosity of bubbles for college basketball. Um, has the Pac-12 looked into that and how does this uh, announcement maybe allow that possibility a, a better chance of happening? Yep, thanks for the question, Matt. And I love the picture, put a smile on my face. Um, the, um, you know, the idea of student athletes being in a bubble doesn't resonate well uh, with our university leaders and really everyone throughout the conference. You know, when I think of bubble, I think about what the NBA is doing in Orlando. Um, and we've said from the beginning, we don't think it would be appropriate to kind of take student athletes completely out of the population, uh, put them in a bubble um, and have them operate separately. And um, I still feel that way. Um, ha having said that, um, our scenario planning committees are looking at all types of you know, smart scheduling options, particularly in the sport of basketball, but also others, where you minimize travel, minimize airplane travel, uh, play multiple games in one place, rather than, you know, uh, traveling for every game. I think there are some kind of intelligent scheduling solutions that take into account the public health crisis uh, that we have, um, that would just be smart to pursue. But this, uh, again, daily testing with immediate results opens up uh, possibilities for us, understanding that our students are, are going to live and they're, they're going to they're go out and eat and they're going to socialize with friends. And we think that's a good and important part of being a college student. So we're not interested in 
taking that away from our student athletes. What this allows us to do through Doug and his company's technology and the access we're able to get is to assure ourselves and our student athletes and their families um, that they're not gonna step onto a practice court uh, or field and run the risk of infecting one another. And we have a final follow-up question from James Krepia. Go ahead, James. Yeah, for, for Larry, uh, when other leagues continued towards playing football and are obviously doing so with the FCS already, the FBS opener tonight, again, a lot of the concerns that were raised 23 days ago, and now we're 23 days to what was supposed to be kickoff, Larry, a lot of these concerns seems to be answered. I know you've mentioned government uh, restrictions, but California's NFL teams are playing and they are practicing and they're going to play. Oregon's governor has indicated she wouldn't allow Oregon or Oregon State to be at a competitive disadvantage and daily testing would clearly allow for some kind of caveat to Oregon Health Authority protocol. Do you feel in looking back that the conference may have, even if it was acting in the best information at the time, that delaying may have been the better approach as opposed to postponement to January 1, because it seems like a lot of the concerns that were raised 23 days ago are being resolved here. Yeah, no doubt, thanks James, no doubt today is very good news and a major step forward, but hope has never been a strategy uh, for the Pac-12 and our presidents and chancellors when they've made these decisions. We've said all along, we're gonna let the science and the data uh, and what our public health officials are telling us drive our decision-making. And when we made our decision, we didn't have the government approvals that we needed. Sitting here today, we don't have the government approvals we need. If we wanted to start training camp in Oregon tomorrow in football, we could not. If we wanted to start at our four California schools, we could not. So it, it is a dynamic situation, step at a time, but based on what we knew um, in mid-August, uh, I think everyone's confident in the decision we made. And it's why I won't commit today when we're going to be returning to play in football or basketball because there's additional issues we need to work through with our public health officials, with our campuses and all that. But make no mistake, thanks to you know Quidel and this partnership, this is a huge step forward and we're gonna advance the data, the knowledge and uh, society's ability to deal with COVID uh, thanks to the research project we're gonna be doing with Quidel. <laughs>